Welcome to From the Heart with Dawn Lister and Daniel Groom of Anahata Yoga Center. Today we are joined with or by, not with and with and by, Louise Hunt. Louise Hunt is a caseworker who works with young people in our local area and um, she, she's come to talk to us about a couple of things today but the main one is about foraging. Now I came across Louise Hunt when I was um, scrolling Instagram one day and um, her Instagram page came up and she was um, scrambling around the woods um, looking for food. And my first thought was, oh, poor woman. She can't afford to buy her dinner. She's having to scramble around the woods, but isn't that interesting? And um, um, I'm saying that with kind of partly Jess, but partly also I wonder, I kind of also thought, you know what, we're in the middle of a crisis where people are losing their jobs and can't put, literally can't put food on the tables. Uh, we've got food banks that are, um, full to busting uh, people that have you know never ever even been on benefits in their life are having to go to food banks as a result of this dreadful situation that we're in in the minute this pandemic um and i thought god you know foraging that's really interesting It'd be i wonder how much we can glean from the local area we, we've got a little greenhouse now that um, i'm growing food in so i thought i've got to speak to you and out of our conversation came lots of other really interesting stuff that we're going to be talking about today about work-life balance and transitions and following your heart and your dreams but um welcome louise that was a long introduction longer than i meant it to be but obviously i've had too much coffee this morning let's let, <laughs> let have a little check-in daniel how are you doing what's going on for you today I am very well, thank you, Dawn. Um, I've been um, indulging in something new for this year. So we're recording this at the start of January. And I was reflecting on kind of ways that I could keep myself fit this year. Um, I run quite a lot, um, which I enjoy, but I needed to do something that's kind of a bit sort of fun and upbeat. So I've found this guy on Instagram and he runs this page, which is called Camp Fit with Carl. And basically he just puts on a load of really camp pop songs and does these hilarious dance moves to it. And you just follow it along and it's hilarious. So I've been doing that most mornings. It's about 45 minutes. And literally I'm in hysterics through most of it because he's like a proper comedian and oh, wow. yeah it's just really funny and you know we just want something that lightens your mood and just makes you have a big smile on your face for the rest of the day so yeah camp fit with carl is my recommendation i'm gonna do it camp fit with carl i'd love that my kids keep trying to get me to do workouts with them but they do hit workouts honestly they look like they're going to die after about 10 minutes and they forget that they forget or don't care that i'm 50 and I'm like, I'm just not doing it. I don't want, I can't do a burpee. I've never been able to do a burpee. I mean, who can do burpees? Normal, it's just not not normal. So a camp fit with Carl sounds a bit of me. Yeah. I mean, what's so funny about it is is just the music that he plays is just it's like being at a really cheesy disco. And he has quite inappropriate names for a lot of the different moves that you do um i won't repeat what most of them are because they are quite inappropriate but they're really funny in context of what you're doing <laughs> there was one about stuffing the turkey today because it was a christmas one that i was watching <laughs> you can only imagine <laughs> i want a reenactment I want yeah. later on you're gonna have to show me Louise, Louise, how are you? What have you been up to? What's going on? Oh, it sounds amazing. Um, I definitely need to see a reenactment of that too. Um, today, just been 
pretty taking it easy. A little bit of painting. I decided that 2021 is no longer uh, room for beige in the house. So everything's getting painted, bringing a bit of colour back into sort of 2021, really. So mm -hmm. that's kind of what I've been up to today. I can see, because um, our, our, our listeners obviously are listening and can't see, but we are on Zoom, so we, we can see into each other's house. And funnily enough, I said at the beginning, the great thing about podcasts, I don't even have to brush my hair. I can just turn up my pyjamas <laughs> if it wants to. And uh, I can see into your house. I'm loving the blue. You've got a bit vibrant blue in the background there. <laughs> Gorgeous. Blue and then that beautiful palm tree and then a bicycle on the wall. Perfect. I love it. Love it. Um, I, I've been, uh, I've had um, a little bug for the past few days. I caught my um, seasonal um, January chesty cold um, I get every year. As soon as it starts to rain, I get a bit sick. So I, I had to isolate for um, the old COVID again. Um, oh. that, that was fun. I spent two days literally asleep, which is what I do in a mail. I'm, I just go to bed, put a blanket over my head and sleep. And then, um, then I started coughing. So everybody started, you know, like literally they locked me in the lounge. I wasn't allowed out at all. I just kind of asked permission to go to the bathroom. Um, so, but that's great. So, I, I watched the whole of Schitt's Creek on um, Netflix, which is flipping hilarious. That's what I watched. I napped and watched it. And um, if you haven't seen it, watch it all the way to the end. It's the most positive, upbeat affirmation for love of all sorts. It's just, it's brilliant, really good. I'll have to check that one out. Check it out, Schitt's Creek. That, that's. Um, that, that's 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 my that's my weekly um, recommendation. Um, I also have picked up. I'm going to read you a poem before we start because um, I got this book for Christmas from my husband. It's called the She Book and it's by Tanya Markle. Um, I think she's done two. I think this is her first one, and uh, the poems are incredible. And this one really called out to me in relation to how what we're going to be talking about today. So this poem is just a few lines. It says, "Sometimes the scariest bridge to burn." is the one between you and the person you thought you were. That's brilliant. Isn't that brilliant? It um, is a scary bridge too. <laughs> it's a scary bridge. Let's Well, let's kick off there. Tell us about your scary bridge, Louise. Tell, let, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your scary bridge, and then let's see where that goes. Um, so I'm Louise, obviously, and um, I've been working sort of in Southend Council for a long time and I've worked with young people for pretty much most of my life and been involved in sort of crisis jobs, um, which I've loved. I've absolutely loved it. Um, it's really rewarding. And I had a period of time where um, that job sort of just become a little bit stressful and sometimes you don't notice it yourself sometimes, that stress building up over time. Um, but you notice sort of physical things happening in your body. Um, and I took some time out. I had some time off work. I started just taking walks in the forest, just local, sometimes over Two Tree Island and things like that. And just started to become um, more interested in what was around me. And I had a little app on my phone where I could sort of zap some plants and see what was going on. And then that sort of curiosity just kind of grew from there, really. Um, and I guess that was the beginning of that kind of transition of realising that maybe the job that I loved wasn't necessarily good for me, which I think is, is a really hard kind of and a scary bridge to cross when that's all you know and that's all you've loved. And then you're kind of trying to, you know, work out where this bridge is actually going to take you to. Because at the moment, obviously, I don't know where that's going to lead to at the moment, which is quite exciting. That's really exciting. I mean, um, 
you said you were working as a caseworker. I mean, that kind of work, where I think especially working with young people, it must be, as you say, it was very rewarding at times, but also yeah. really takes a toll on your emotional and mental well-being when you are kind of watching people in great suffering actually a lot of the time what kind of how what, how did that show up for you what, what you said it started to take a toll yeah um so I, th I felt anxiety was definitely kind of increasing from what it was um and over silly little things it might be just getting nervous about I don't know driving over a bridge in the car like your mind my mind would start to kind of race and then put sort of thoughts in in there that were not necessarily positive and then you just increase the anxiety so I noticed that um and sort of as time was going on your it was very hard to shut off when you really care about the kids and the families and you really want to do your absolute best especially when you're a bit of a perfectionist and you kind of want to make sure that you give a hundred percent of all of your effort to something I just find that after work I'd feel quite drained um, and those sort of signs of burnout were kind of starting to become a lot more visible. Um, it becomes harder to shut off because you're thinking, well, my life's gone back to normal at the weekend, but then you're aware that their lives still continue on and those parents are finding, you know, still struggling with the difficulties with their children and stuff as for 24 hours a day, every day. Um, so it's hard when you're a very caring and kind of uh, empathetic person to shut off from that I, that's how I sort of felt and then those signs were just were increasing really sort of fatigue feeling quite tired not having as much energy as kind of you'd like to have so you know I think that kind of um those little bits just start to rear their head little red flag um that you see and then I, I guess that awareness just increased and made me realize that actually perhaps I needed to do something about that mm. that was it was a long time it took a kind of you know probably over a year before I made actual any decision on what to do mm. I, I think and um, I don't know what you feel about this Daniel but I think we see it you and I see a lot of people don't we who are experience who have and are experiencing burnout um and um it, as you say Louise it can take a long time before you realize actually something's wrong you know mm. you, you get to a point where actually it's, it's starting to impact on your day-to-day -day experience and um, maybe your relationships or as you see things like you know those signs that I'm getting anxious about driving something is anything that takes you out of what you've considered to be safe the kind of little safe little world that you can cope with um, and I just I, I really want to you know take my hat off to you for like standing up and saying you know this is this isn't good for me and yeah. I need to do something different and you know because a lot of people can't for whatever reason can't don't feel they can do that they can't and they, they battle on through and you know pick up some really unhealthy coping strategies yeah sure. so, uh, i was just going to say i think for many for quite a lot of people um, especially people that i've worked with closely and also my personal experience was burnout was quite a normal thing it was something that i just coped with because actually it was part of doing the job that i was doing at that time and the recognition, actually, that this cycle that I'm in of being able to get myself up, out, and be able to do enough stuff to function to get through the day to then come back home 
and feel completely depleted again was was somewhere that I was in for about 10 years you know so upon leaving a job or leaving a situation doesn't necessarily have to be a job can be a relationship can actually be a way that we've learned how to survive within society within ourselves you know in in our fight or flight mode um, but the actual come down from that after is significant you know and the 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 depths that you have to go to to kind of take care of yourself firstly to acknowledge actually you know that that time that I've been through that's all I've known so now to find something new using the analogy again feels like a bridge that feels quite scary to cross over and actually you know having other people around you and also having things to allow you to be in the present moment can be really really powerful when you're experiencing those feelings of fear and kind of disbandment from that known life that you was in previously um absolutely i, I recognize so much of what you've just sort of said there daniel like um that feeling of it's a, it's, it can be quite accepted in some jobs as well. I think especially sort of in the social care kind of industry, there's a lot of people just accept that, oh, it's okay, burnout's acceptable kind of in this, you know, because it is difficult and those crisis kind of jobs are challenging, like police or fire where you are witnessing and hearing kind of negativity from lots of other places and seeing difficult things. I think it is very accepted. And you kind of pride yourself on that sometimes going, oh, well, I've dealt with this thing. So that's great. And then what more can I deal with? And then your body kind of normally gives you a bit of a check in and says, hey, <laughs> if you're not going to listen to me, you know, I'm going to kind of end up giving these sort of physical symptoms to, to make you actually stand back and recognize that, you know, something's not quite right there. Actually, we need to stop and take care of ourselves and put that self-care first. It becomes a bit of a badge of honor, doesn't it? In some in some cultures, like burnt yeah. out, who's the most tired? Who's got the heaviest case? Yeah. Who's got the most drama? And 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 actually, it, I feel like society. I don't know if you guys agree. I, I, maybe I'm just being hopeful, but they're starting are starting to pull back and say, actually, it's not okay. You know, it isn't all right to be perpetually exhausted. It isn't all right to need mm. to think to get through your day or to overeat. It's not okay to never have downtime. Um, I feel like people are starting to actually question that that idea. However, we're also living in a, in a society where there is an inc incredible amount of suffering. You know, people from all walks of life are, 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 are suffering. Your families are suffering. And, and it's only getting worse because there's blooming pandemic in the, you know, the economic, emotional and, um, you know, interconnectedness that people are suffering with as as a result of you know the breakdown of the the, the structures that that you kind of tenuously actually are in place um so um I, I i'm heartened to think that people are starting to say no i'm not prepared to you know work a 10 hour day five days a week and stay late and you know i'm not and also starting to say what how how can i bring myself down after having been through a really difficult period you know if someone goes in a surgery you give them time for rehab afterwards because the body needs time to repair and actually when you've been through a trauma whether that be a work trauma or a personal trauma you've you've been put in a situation of shock and your body's in shock 
and actually you now need downtime time to calm yourself time to you know put things in perspective time to um maybe grieve if that's what's needed or you know put things in in, in the right jars i mean do you feel that's something that you have been able to do during your work in life louise or is that something that's you know maybe not so much been in place for you um i think now i recognize that i really need that time to actually take so take a step back and i think like you say so many people now especially during this pandemic i think of had that time to reassess and actually reevaluate what they want with their lives and you know a lot of people move into the countryside or coming out of the city and working at home and feeling like there's more work-life balance and I think that's really important um and I just feel that there's that time now obviously I've been in this sort of kind of job now for like well over 10 years and um I know that might be relatively short for some but is there's that need to go okay well I'm going to take take this time out and actually immerse myself in something that's more nourishing and whether that's going down the foraging path or growing your own and and finding a way to um, maybe start a business or something like that that could it might still be stressful but stressful in a different way and I think it's depending on that stress you know it, as long as it's a kind of healthy um, thing that you're passionate about and willing to do and it doesn't take all of that energy from you then then that's fine but I think you have to question sort of is this stress that I can deal with and is or is there going to become a point where actually you know you have to reassess and say okay this isn't good for me and I have to sort of stop so you know I definitely think there'll be time um, to heal when I'm going to take that time um, just just a because it, it'll be interesting to see what happens really there'll be that sort of period where which I, I guess for me I, I recognize that I'm quite fortunate I have a partner who can support me during this time so I can actually take I haven't got to jump straight from one job into another and I, and I can have that time to just see what happens organically and just to feel take each day as it comes yeah, so I don't know if we've actually said this on the on, on the podcast yet, but you are working currently as a caseworker, as we said, um, but that you have handed in your notice and, and you are and you are leaving that job um, yeah. and you're taking some time, you know, to kind of calm, soothe, nurture yourself, grieve, do whatever it is you need to do. And you're kind of stepping more into the world of foraging. So let's, that's kind of how I first came across you in this kind of conversation. Yeah. Um, I want you to talk a, a bit about foraging. So can you tell our listeners, what is foraging? So for me, foraging is just going out into the local environment or wherever, be that your local forest, or it could be marshland, or it could be just down by the beach, anywhere really outside where you can go and collect things like plants, fungi, nuts, seaweed, um, kind of anything. You, once you start to broach it kind of broaden that spectrum actually even things like spearfishing and going out and collecting your own fish could be classed as foraging so I think going out and just collecting things not necessarily to eat because sometimes foraging could be just to collect some plants to dye fabric or to do different things like that with so it's really just going out and collecting wild food and um, or sort of wild plants and utilizing them for however you wish 
I'm always intrigued to know, Louise, what, what, what parts, what do you pick and what don't you pick? Uh, are there kind of rules and regulations um, set up by, I don't know, I suppose it would be government, wouldn't it? You know, in terms of things that you can and can't take. And how do you know what you're taking is safe to eat or to, 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 to produce in some way? It can be quite tricky to, when you first start out because you don't really I started just with an app so I didn't have any clue of what I was allowed to do or not allowed to do and which plants were good and, and which wasn't and I think in this country particularly we're brought up to be like don't touch wild plants they're dangerous you know um, and it's such a shame because actually there are some really easy things to go out there and collect um, there are some rules around you can't dig up any root on private property you always need to get permission to do that kind of thing and there are some really dangerous plants out there that are deadly so it's about that research and how you're doing that and you know to do it safely is to have multiple books and to look at lots of resources for each plant I mean I started off by following lots of different groups on Facebook and there's loads on there with people that have got you know vast knowledge um, and then you just start to see pictures on Instagram and that repetition starts to really get things into your head. Um, and I think if you can't identify something 110%, then you leave it be and you just don't touch that. It's not worth the risk um, of harming yourself. But there are lots of things where there might not be any lookalikes and it's such a simple plant or fungi to collect. So, But it takes time and confidence and you know, sometimes we can just collect little bits and take them home and just look at them and study them. And then you grow that knowledge over time. So I, I wish that people wasn't as scared as some. And, you know, I think everyone should get out there and try and forage. Some, I, some I totally get it. I, I, since I've spoken to you, because I walk in the woods, you know, four or five times a week. And um, I've, been, I've been looking out for things to forage. But I have seen quite a lot of mushrooms. Um, and some berries but I haven't actually lifted anything so I thought I'm probably going to poison myself I'm actually <laughs> terrified about poisoning myself um so I guess what you're saying is you know find maybe join a group or yeah got an app. there's apps isn't there where you can photograph yeah. and it'll tell you if it's safe or it's not safe so there are some apps that will kind of give you a rough guide as to what it is it might have like five stars and it will say that it's really good. But there are times, and I've read online, that there are experiences where the apps aren't necessarily 100%. So that's why, you know, I really encourage people to look at multiple resources. So you might have the app. You can take home the plant and study it. You can look in some books, take some pictures, put it on one of the Facebook groups. And then that way you start to build kind of different people's opinions on that one plant and then you know, you can kind of go from there and build that confidence up. And once you're 110%, that you're like, this is definitely this plant or wild food. Then so you can... I'm talking over you, Louise. <laughs> I did say I had a, had a coffee earlier. It was obviously a big mistake. <laughs> if, um, if we think about it, like back in ancient times, foraging was what our ancient, our ancestors did, wasn't it? That's how they collected all their food. So, I mean, do you... What's your thoughts around that? I mean, I, my thought was like, how much of the food? <laughs> you for, I mean, is it possible to collect enough food to almost live on or supplement your diet? I feel there are there are obviously lots of different people out there living different ways. 
And I think it's foraging is really about how it fits into your own lifestyle. You know, there are some people who might take 60% from the land, but, you know, I think it's really important to make sure that you're never taking too much from kind of one plant. And ultimately wildlife relies on all of those plants and we need to be respectful about what we leave leave there for other people and for, for all the animals. Um, so, I mean, there are some things now that where I've sort of been doing it for a little while, that if I'm just going for a walk, I go, oh, okay, there's some sea beet here, I'll take this home and, and I'll have that instead of spinach. So some things can become a real daily part of your, yeah, your daily diet that you would just go out and collect. Whereas, you know, it might just be added little things. I tend to make things like syrups and jams and they're just added little bits into uh, your daily diet. But I don't go out and kind of get a, a vast majority that are, are foraged. I mean, full credit to anyone who does, but it would be very time consuming and I don't kind of have that. I mean, this morning, for example, I just went for a little walk and bagged up some pine needle mulch just to put on my blueberry bushes so it wasn't about eating anything but it was just collecting something that is ultimately going to help the things that I grow at home as well so I think it's about having lots of different if you grow a bit of your own veg and you can forage some as well and then you can kind of I mean I don't know how you feel about this but I'm trying to back away from big supermarkets as much as I can and shop local and try to kind of buy things with the most minimum amount of plastic that I can it's just all those little things just add up together and I think foraging is just another part of that to put together and also it's really relaxing <laughs> yeah I was just gonna ask you know there's obviously you know some quite obvious benefits of what foraging gives to you but actually it'd be really interested to hear a little bit about what it does for you physically mentally you know and how it supports you especially through this transitional stage that you're currently going through totally I mean foraging really helped really helped when I when I first sort of took that time out from work I was so exhausted and so burnt out that all I could manage was a walk the thought of kind of doing anything really physical like running just felt like too much. So it was just a really mild and gentle way of just getting outside that fresh air. And I think even the physical, I think what I noticed was how um, interactive everything was. Because when you rub something and you smell it and then it starts to smell of, diff not everything smells green and some plants and fungi have like the most amazing perfumed smells. Um, and it kind of enlivens you a bit. You're like, oh, wow, like, what is this? Oh, it smells of, you know, <laughs> something kind of uh, unique, which you'd never think comes from a plant. And I think that that whole engaging of your senses, you're outside in the fresh air, um, you know, you're hearing those sounds and walking through the forest and the crunch under your feet. And I think that all helps to really kind of relax you. Um, just helped clear my mind it really brings you into that present moment where um yeah everything else and all your problems kind of disappear and I, I really felt that um so it's been it's, it's definitely been a life changer for me so I can't I can't imagine myself not foraging 
it sounds to me like it's a really mindful activity. I know, I know that in um, the mindfulness world, we really encourage people to, you know, be in nature, even if it's just for a minute, you know, just to, as you're walking to the station or to a shop or wherever it is you're walking to, you know, look for nature that's around you, whether that be a bush hanging out of a garden or a cloud in the sky, a bird flying by, you know, those, yeah. just the sight of something natural immediately brings your blood pressure down it lowers your heart rate you know it brings you into the present moment so you're not you know as we know anxiety is that mm. it's rated when we're thinking about the future so we're stuck in our head you know depression when we're thinking about the past and getting low and heavy so you know by being in the moment you know the the, the physical changes that take place for us are very very significant and i you know i kind of think like our ancestors were much more in tune with the planet you know they ate what was local to them. They ate what was available in season. Yeah. Um, they knew the providence of where it came from. They respected. They didn't take too much. You know, there was they they um, they really considered how what they what they were taking from the land for themselves because they knew instinctively if they didn't if they didn't do that that there wasn't going to be enough next year. Absolutely. And we don't live in that way anymore. <laughs> I think it's sad, isn't it, that we've lost that kind of connection to to the food. And I think what I notice now is when we're, I'm just going for a generic walk, it doesn't look the same anymore. Because now I just look around and I'm like, oh, my God, there's food here and there's food there. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm a big foodie. I love my food. <laughs> so, you know, it's hard to kind of walk anywhere without feeling like, oh, I'll just get this and take this home. And <laughs> I'll just take that. You know, sometimes you kind of have to check in with yourself and say, do I actually need this? And am I going to cook it today? You know, so, yeah, it does that connection. It, I wish everybody could find that. And I think it, talking about working with young people, I think they're so in their phones and they're so in this kind of online world. and I think it would be beneficial for all of them to get out more and be find that connection again. However that is, because we find connection with nature in lots of ways, but um, I think that would be a brilliant thing to, to start to kind of help people in the future, really. I really liked what you said before, and it kind of has had a, created a thought process in my head around how standoffish we are and afraid of nature. And it's funny, I went, for a, I went for a walk over the park the other day and it's almost as though when you're in the park, you're kind of not necessarily aware of what's around you. You know, you're just there, you're with the people that you was with, you know, we were playing it with the kids, do you know what I mean? That was, you know, keeping our attention, but actually there was all these trees, all this grass, all these beautiful plants, you know, there was a lot decaying at the moment. So it looks quite bare and looks quite, you know, quite different to how it looks a lot of the year. And I thought, actually, I didn't touch any of it. I didn't interact with it at all. You know, it's quite strange to think, yeah. you know, it, it didn't even cross my mind to do that. But actually now it's made me want to go out for a walk and go and touch things and go and smell things. And, <laughs> and I think what's happened, especially with lockdown, I mean, I know for me and lots of other people, they've started growing things in their garden. Yeah. Actually, one, we've had the time to do it. Um, for those that are fortunate to have, you know, been able to, afford to buy some seeds or some plants from a garden center or from a local shop you know we've 
we've been experimenting with how it feels to grow your own food. And isn't that so satisfying to have something that you've grown yourself or know that hasn't come from a shop necessarily that's been produced through nature? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this year was the first time that actually I grew some stuff at home and um, started like a little mini allotment. And um, I had runner beans for days. It was amazing. <laughs> so it's been, it's, and it's nice to feel that you can be self-reliant and actually don't need the shop for everything. And I think that's quite a satisfying and, and rewarding feeling, especially when you know how it was grown and, and you can do all of that. So I'm hoping, um, like Dawn, to get a greenhouse for this year. <laughs> They're in great demand at the moment as well. Oh, it's so great. We, 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 we put the greenhouse in uh, my mother-in-law's garden who lived next door to us. And sadly, she's, she passed away a few weeks ago. Um, so we're, we're going to lose our greenhouse and our garden that we're in now doesn't really have enough space for one. Um, so I'm, I'm grieving doubly. I'm grieving the loss of my very dear, lovely mother-in-law who was adorable and um, liked a story a lot. And um, and I'm also grieving my greenhouse. I'm like, well, what am I going to do? We're kind of trying to work out. Do I cut down a few trees in the garden to make room for the greenhouse, or do we leave the trees? I, it feels like murder cutting down a tree. I, I actually don't think I can do it. <laughs> no, so, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> I really don't think I can. I'm thinking, I'm kind of thinking like maybe I'll I'll get an allotment share, and I think that's something a lot of people are doing, isn't it? Now they're talking about like sharing allotments and and kind of sharing the work and one that would be you know that that's something that's quite quite manageable to do. Well, they're big plots, aren't they? So I think you know to have to share that with someone. Actually, in South End there is um, a community allotment as well, which is fantastic. We can go along and just help out if you haven't got the time. That's go every day to water stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I guess wherever you are in the world, you know, there are, if you Google, you can find like local areas where people share, they share bits of garden. If you've got big gardens, that's a big thing. And I, I always think like, why aren't, why don't the council grow on public spaces? Like we have all these green spaces and verges, like you could grow fruit, you could have fruit trees, you could have bushes, you could put lettuce in the ground and, you know all the all this stuff and and you can feed people you know in a way that actually is is gonna is gonna you know it could build community it could build awareness it could help food poverty um maybe maybe i'll suggest it to our council i think in in leon c there's a few so in the lee library gardens there's a community little garden there and so there is starting to pop up but we definitely need more we do, we need more. We need more for our mental health. And well, there's, there's quite a few, um, I know Trust Links in Southend, um, they have a, a community garden, don't they, where, where it's, it's, it's run by volunteers and, and people that are struggling maybe with their, their, their mental health can go in and actually learn how to grow things, you know, and take care of things. And it's got a really huge success. And um, a friend of mine runs a similar um, project um, in Brighton, whereby you know they they use they use the the opportunity to allow people to 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 take responsibility of something that they grow from a seed to its fruition. And actually, for someone that's in a desperate place in their head, that can be actually a really hugely rewarding thing to do. Absolutely, I think. 
as well when you're when you plant something you you have to believe in the in the day after don't you so you're kind of like oh I've planted this now what's going to happen tomorrow and then it grows and then you're watching this journey of the plant and I, I found that incredibly like rewarding during sort of last summer watching everything grow getting excited about kind of plucking something out that you've planted and then getting to eat that as well um and I think the foraging going out and kind of seeing it change throughout the seasons it's 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 incredibly so they become like your friends really actually because you if you keep going back to the same places and see them in summer and then in autumn and winter and you're watching all those changes you, you become really connected to that little environment and I think it definitely keeps you going Mm, there's something really wonderful about the kind of energy from plants and nature and I, I was just reflecting on one of my teachers um, an American teacher called Rod Stryker he described kind of the practice of yoga being about cultivating an energy which we know is prana but actually thinking about how a plant uses its energy and their whole reason for being there is to grow towards the sun, to bear fruit or to produce what it needs to produce. And then it slowly withers and dies away. And all of their energy goes into doing that thing. Nothing else distracts it. So I, I always try and think when something I find myself really scattered is kind of where do I need to put my energy and I need to kind of embed that kind of plant energy and just be really focused upon this is where I need to grow or this is where I need to focus my energy and I think it's just amazing isn't it the plants that is their sole purpose is to do that they don't get distracted by anything else at all and then we get to eat the fruits of that <laughs> the best bit <laughs> That's beautiful, Daniel. I love that analogy, and it made me think of like, like they're they're rooted, aren't they? And that's what that's where we always start in our practice, isn't it? With our foundation, like where are our roots? Like you know, putting our feet down and getting present and bringing mm -hmm. yourself into the moment. And that's you know, so I guess there's always so many parallels, isn't there, between nature and our life? And and actually, the further for me, the further I come away from leading a nature-led life the, the more I struggle in myself I know for me I, I need to be outside every day I need to see a plant I need to be in nature and if I don't if I don't I don't feel good and if I ever am a bit burnt out I'm I'm my automatic thing is I want to retreat to the country so I want to take myself off and often yoga retreats are in the country aren't they you don't hear of a yoga retreat in the middle of a blooming city do you <laughs> I've never heard of one but they, they tend to be somewhere where they're away from sort of built up areas so there's more space around you and you're kind of your body's um, moving in with the natural rhythms of the planet so I, I think it sounds really exciting what you're doing so are you planning maybe in the future to run some foraging groups or something is that on the agenda for us so it's definitely been something that's crossed my mind um I'm good. I'm, I was looking next year to, depending on the pandemic and what's going on, but to maybe start offering um, some groups. Maybe maybe I'll do sort of four sessions and trial them and see how that how it goes and see what people think and then go from there. Really, I'd like to do some volunteering for some positive organisations and maybe sort of a national park or just to really kind of 
immerse myself in that nature, not only for the therapeutic benefits, but just to widen that knowledge and really kind of hone in what direction I want to go in. Because I love cooking too, and I love sort of making products from um, all the forage goods and yeah, just be some time to experiment dyeing fabric and stuff like that with different plants. There's so much stuff. Um, it'd be interesting to sort of share and maybe do some workshops in the future locally, maybe showing people how to do some of those things with the wild plants that we can go and forage. So not necessarily just eating, but using them in lots of different ways would be great. That sounds incredible. You know, I watched a, a documentary last night. It was in Gaelic with subtitles. And um, it was about an island in Scotland called Canna. Have you heard of it? The Isles of Canna. I've heard of that, yeah. Really, really small island. I think there's like 50 people if that living on it. And it was an American lady and a Scottish man who bought the island and lived on it. And then they've kind of, I think they've gifted it. I can't, I kind of started dropping off because it was quite late. But they, um, they, there was very early footage, like over 100 years ago, a video of all the people in the community working on the land and they had um they were so happy like they were these little kids you know milking cows and cutting hay and foraging and the the whole community comes together to build um like their stone residences they have like resident like stone brick buildings with a thatched roof and this american woman kind of went there to document the songs and then documented their life took the stuff back to america and put on an exhibition and the people there were saying they're so happy, but they have nothing. You know, they've got they have nothing. And she said they are these people are the happiest people I've ever met. She said they're happy with nothing because they have each other and they have enough food, and they have community and they have nature and they don't want for anything. They don't care about you know fashion and mm. they don't care about what else is going on in the world. They're just they're just living in, with the rhythm of life. And she actually went back there and, and married and, and lived on the island and lived there to 101. Oh, wow. No, she was incredible. I really recommend it. It's, it's, a, it's on Skype. Was it just Google, you know, Isles of Canna? I'm sure there'll be loads of stuff on YouTube if anybody's interested in that kind of thing. Absolutely fascinating. I'm, I think I might take a little trip there myself. Um, I have to look that one up. Yeah, it was amazing. I've been watching um, a bit of Ben Fogel, New Lives in the Wild. Do you watch that? Yeah, yeah. I've got it on record. <laughs> and I love that you know that whole thing about people just taking that risk and taking a plunge and just trying something completely different not always accepted by everybody you know because it is stepping out of the norm sometimes but I think a lot more people are doing that and are willing to kind of take that step and you know back away from this nine to five kind of rat race uh, into something different and know watching that and seeing these people and it looks difficult sometimes it looks challenging but you know you all credit to to them for sort of doing that and putting themselves out there if you had a message to call out to people because you've gone you've taken an incredibly brave step and um you know stepping into actually really caring and looking after yourself and you've obviously you've kind of followed your emotional intelligence, your intuition, and you've done what's right for your for your for you and your personal life. What would you say to people who are maybe in a similar place that you've been in? Maybe they feel a bit burnt out, they're a bit tired, they don't feel like they're being fulfilled. What would you What would you say to them? Um, I guess everybody's. I understand that everybody's circumstances in life are different. Some people have got children some people financial difficulties and they may have to 
sort of feel like they can't step out of that. And for me, I guess I'm in a more fortunate position to be able to do that. But it still wasn't an easy decision. Um, I think don't expect it to be instantaneous. It can take time and it can take lots of thought. I mean, I've wrote millions of notes <laughs> over the past year and a half to kind of get to that point of going, okay, maybe I really need to do this. Um, and yes, it's going to be scary. And yes, there's going to be an element of risk. You know, you can't take that away when you're taking that sort of kind of step. And I suppose, and doing it during a pandemic, probably not the wisest of decisions, but sometimes you just have to trust in the community around you and trust in, you know, those people that are there to support you and trust in your gut instinct. If it feels right, maybe just, you know, just take the risk and, and see what happens. Because sometimes when you take that first step out of the door, you've got to go forward, haven't you? You can't go back. And I think then that kind of um, sort of, oh, how do I say it? I guess just you've got to keep going. You've just got to keep going forward. That's, that's kind of um, the only way, isn't it? And now, although I don't know what's there, I'm just going to trust in all those things around me and nature that it will head me in the right direction, wherever that may be. Um, but as long as it's a healthy journey and it and you're staying true to, I think, your morals and your values, then that's the most important part. Mm. Um, so I'd say, yeah, do it. If you're if you're on the, sitting on the fence, get off the fence and just yeah, take the plunge and, and see what happens. No, it's an interesting journey. Life's meant to be a journey, right? It'd be boring if we didn't take any risks. I think it's really refreshing to hear someone that is being authentic and has spoken their truth. And I know how difficult it is to do that when you feel your whole life is underpinned by something that you've done for a long time. So I think it's an amazing thing that you've done, Louise, and I really hope your future is as successful as what your past has been and all those people that you've managed to help and support around that area because it's a it's a thankless task working with such you know difficult subsections of society um my husband has worked yeah my, my husband's a social worker um and now manages social work teams and i i hear some of the stories and it's, you know, it, it is a job like no other. And I think, you know, you, you deserve your time to go and do what you need to do for a while and look after yourself because you've took a lot of time looking after others. Oh, thank you. That, I really appreciate that. So thank you so much for joining us today, Louise. We've had... Um, thank you. Yeah, we had a great conversation. And I think, you know, as I suspected... You know, our conversation about foraging actually really was about self-love and compassion practices and, and boundaries and listening to your inner voice and all of that stuff that we've spoken about. So thank you so much for um, your... My absolute pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Oh, you're welcome. Normally we ask people what their self-care practices is, but I think we've already discussed that for the past 50 minutes. We already know how you look after yourself and it sounds like you're doing a brilliant job. So... Um, Thank you so much. And I'll pass back to Daniel to round us up for today. Thank, Thank you, Dawn.
And thank you, Louise, for your time today. So um, thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Um, coming up in the next few weeks, we are hopping over to the other side of the pond. We've got a couple of interviews with some really amazing American-based yoga teachers. Um, one is Dr. Yogi, um, a, a gentleman called Andrew McGonagall, who is a doctor and also a yoga teacher as well. And he's going to be talking to us all about the work that he's been doing um, around finding ways to support yoga teachers to be able to approach maybe things that they're seeing in class physically or mental emotional responses that people are having and how to support them better. Um, Andrew was based in London um, as a yoga teacher for quite a few years and has recently moved to LA um, so it'd be really interesting to catch up with him. We've also got a really amazing yoga therapist, a lady called Beth Spindler, and she's written this amazing book called Yoga Therapy for Fear. And it's all about using different yogic techniques to deal with fear, shame, anxiety, and um, deep-seated stress. So maybe something we could all have a little peek at. <laughs> We've all experienced that ourselves. Um, and Beth's going to come on to talk to us about her book and her online training that she has developed. She's been teaching for over 40 years, so she's a wealth of experience and a really, really lovely lady as well. So until next time, thank you so much for listening. Please do subscribe to our podcast on Amazon, no, not on Amazon, on Apple. <laughs> you can also listen to us on Spotify. And please do let us know any comments or leave us any reviews. Until next time, thank you so much and goodbye. Bye now.